You're listening to DraftKings Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to another chapter of Darth Amin's Rule of Two. I am your Sith Lord, Darth Amin. That over there is my apprentice, Darth Corn Puzzle, a.k.a. Anthony Mays. And we're reviewing the Star Wars Disney Plus series, Ahsoka. It finally dropped. The first two episodes dropped earlier this week. Too much fanfare. Dropped a day early, Mays. Did you know that? They have normally been releasing everything on Wednesdays, but it seems like this is going to be a Tuesday show. That official? Yeah, it said every Tuesday. Okay, because they'd been promoting August 23rd, August 23rd, August 23rd, and then they dropped it on August 22nd. So either way, it's all good because Rule of Two comes out on Friday, so you guys are fine. You don't have to worry about it. Gives everyone a chance to watch and catch up and then revel in whatever the hell it is we do over here. Since it was two episodes a lot, we're not going to go beat by beat. We're just going to go broad strokes with a lot of this stuff. But one of the first things I wanted to do, Maze, is talk about some of the people who were in these episodes, these characters, Mm -hmm. who are characters you were expected to know, quote unquote, and who are characters that are brand new to the show. And I think it's interesting because as I'm watching it, Maze, here's a broad stroke for you. There's a part of me that's thinking, wow, they're really expositioning the hell out of this. But I'm realizing they're trying to catch people up and bring them up to speed with established characters and established storylines that many of the viewers are not going to be familiar with. Yeah, and there are even a couple note-for-note recreations of animated sequences. Yes, there's one that's recreated, and then there's one that's... Well, I mean, they're both recreations. One of them is like, hey, we're just going to do this again except in this time period. And then the other one is interesting because the other one is actually, I think, a live action representation of that moment in the same way that we've seen in Tales of the Jedi and in Clone Wars Season 7, live action moments being recreated into animation. And I wanted to do some training on my own, Mm -hmm. you know, to make you proud of me. So I watched the last three episodes of Rebels. Oh, nice. Starting with the World Between Worlds episode Mm -hmm. and then going through the defense of Lothal and Ezra and Thrawn getting Purgle launched into the outer reaches of the galaxy. So Mm -hmm. it was especially fresh for me to see, for example, that they use the exact same art, the mural that Sabine paints. Yes. Is exactly the same. I thought that was kind of funny. 
the artist interpretation that everybody looks exactly like that i found kind of amusing but it was cool it is amusing because it also hits home to me while i think natasha lou bordizo does kind of look like sabine I don't think the person cast as Hera looks like Hera. Right. And it is distracting to me how not like Hera she looks. What do you mean? I mean, she's green. Yeah. You know, it's just the facial structure is not the same. It is distracting to me. I think Sabine was a good casting from a looks wise. Obviously, we love Rosaria Dawson as Ahsoka. Speak for yourself. You don't like... Oh, that's right. You... Cinephobe listeners. My mortal enemy, Rosario Dawson. I'm going to put those feelings aside for the run of Ahsoka. There you go. I'm going to look past it, be the bigger person. There is a part of it that is a little too exposition-y, and then there is also a part of it where I'm not sure if it's the writing or I'm not sure if Sabine has an ass firmly on, but she's very ass on in some scenes. There's a lot of commentary from our listeners. I'm seeing that everywhere. People are not enjoying this Sabine performance. Mm. I'm not there yet. I'm not upset by it. I'm letting it play itself out. Obviously, it's called Ahsoka, but she's firmly the second main character of this show. Which is weird because in Star Wars Rebels, they didn't have that much of a relationship. Well, that's what's so bizarre is there's obviously a lot of history that's off screen. Right. And not just off screen in Ahsoka, but off screen in Rebels, like you're saying. Because the end of Rebels, they're supposed to team up to look for Ezra. Mm -hmm. And then obviously we are retconning that in some ways for this show. Let's just get to it right now. That's the scene that was recreated for live action. Mm -hmm. At the end of the second episode. It's a reveal for us that the last scene of Rebels wasn't like a couple of years later. It was actually after all of the Galactic Civil War, after Return of the Jedi, after the events of the Mandalorian. That scene, the last scene of episode two of Ahsoka, is basically what that animation scene, the last scene of Rebels, was from. It was many, many years later. The loss of... Thrawn and Ezra happens in like one BBY, I want to say. And this is nine or 10 B. So this is like a decade later. Mm -hmm. So there's a decade of obviously interaction between the two. They make it very clear to us that Sabine was being trained as Ahsoka's Padawan. And she was force sensitive, something that was never hinted to in the show. But it would explain why she was so adept at using the Darksaber beyond just the hand-to-hand combat skills of a Mandalorian. Well, so there you go. That's the number one question that I have going into this podcast out of these first two episodes is Sabine's force aptitude. And we do get some exposition from Hu Yang, our 25,000-year-old droid designed purely to deliver exposition. That's his role so far. (laughs) That was his role in Clone Wars. He tells us that she has the worst aptitude of all time. Pretty much. Out of every Jedi that's ever trained, she's the worst. Okay, so let's pause there and let's go through the cast of characters in this show so far. Obviously, we all know who Ahsoka is at this point. If you didn't listen to last week's episode of Rule of Two, you should go do that first because we go through much of the backstory of Ahsoka, who she is, et cetera, et cetera. But we start with Hu Yang. Hu Yang is a droid, Ahsoka's droid. But who he really is, is an instructor for Jedi Padawan on how to build a lightsaber. 
So this droid has been around for, as May said, 25,000 years. He's seen literally every Jedi come through. He has a catalog of everyone's lightsaber. He was in Clone Wars. He's definitely been a character for quite a while. And he's voiced by David Tennant, the great David Tennant. Who voiced the character in the Clone Wars. So that's number one of people who made the transition from animation to live action. That's also why when Balin Skull and Shin Hati's lightsabers come up, Mm -hmm. he knows Balin Skull's. He doesn't know the other one because she was obviously not part of the Jedi Order. She's his Padawan. But Balin Skull is a Jedi who survived Order 66, so he would have had to make his lightsaber under the tutelage of Hu Yang. And so that brings us to Balin Skull and Shin Hati. They are new characters, right? These are brand new characters just for the show. If you're like, who are they? Hey, man, we're in the same boat. We're all finding out about them. Uh, They are aligned with Morgan Elspeth. Now, Morgan Elspeth was from Mandalorian Season 2. That's the episode where we first see Ahsoka show up when... Mando and Grogu come up on her in this weird, burnt-out forest. They help Ahsoka defeat Morgan Elspeth's forces, and then Ahsoka goes one-on-one against Morgan Elspeth, and that's when she delivers the line, where is your master, where is Grand Admiral Thrawn? So she's not new, but what is new, Mm -hmm. you get confirmation that she is, in fact, a night sister of Dathomir. Indeed. Dathomir is the planet where Darth Maul is from, The women of Dathomir, they use the Force, but like as magic. They're not Sith, they're not Jedi. Is it the Force? I thought it was a different power. They use magic, but there's Force sensitivity in it. Okay. That's why Maul was able to become a Sith. Mm. That's why Savage Opress, his brother, was able to become his apprentice. There's definitely Force sensitivity in what they do, but it is magic also, so. And we spend a good amount of time with the Night Sisters of Dathomir in the Clone Wars show, right? Yes, we do. We see them a lot there. We see them a lot actually in the Fallen Order video game because you have a whole mission where you've got to go to Dathomir. And the reason why it's a big deal that she's a Night Sister is because the Night Sisters were pretty much exterminated. There was a genocide and almost all of them were killed. Up until this point, we only knew of one Mirren who was from the Fallen Order video game. And also, I guess now, Jedi Survivor. But now we know there's another one, and that's Morgan Elspeth. And the Night Sister magic is the driving force of the MacGuffin mm-hmm. and the plot, which is there's a star map that everybody needs. Star Wars loves star maps, man. Oh, man. We got to find some shit. It's on a map. It's also, as we've talked about before, heavily reminiscent of Indiana Jones type stuff, which Filoni also pays tribute to. Oh, yeah, definitely. There's a lot of throne room Indiana Jones stuff when Ahsoka cuts the circle into the ground and drops down into the Night Sisters temple or whatever. Mm -hmm. That's definitely shades of Raiders of the Lost Ark. A couple other characters. So... Harrison Dula, played by Mary Elizabeth Winstead, who does not look anything like Hera, <laughs> but, you know, we'll let it go. She was in Rebels. We talked about her last week. She's now a general in the New Republic Army and like, a very high-ranking person. We've got appearances by Ryder, who is the governor of the planet of Lothal. That's the planet that Ezra, who we hear mentioned, and we see his little video thing. He was from Rebels. So the guy who's presiding over the dedication ceremony for remembrance of Ezra and the sacrifice he made. That guy's the governor of the planet of Lothal, but he was also one of the key insurgents on Lothal during Imperial rule. He is played 
by the guy who voices the character in Star Wars Rebels, Clancy Brown. Love Clancy Brown. Great voice, great face. And it looks just like him. Meanwhile, Senator Jai Kel, who was played by Vinny Thomas from Platonic in the live action, in Rebels, he was voiced by none other than Dante Basco. That's right, Rufio from Hook. Rufio from Hook does not look like Jack Hell. No. And so they had to recast someone there. Chopper is Hera's droid. He's been all throughout Rebels. We saw him a little bit in Bad Batch, along with a young Harrison Dula. And he was also in Rogue One for a brief moment. He was rolling across the screen. I remember when Rebels was on and Rogue One came out, they used to have like this companion streaming show where they kind of go behind the scenes. They talk to Dave Filoni. They talk to Pablo Hidalgo. You know, other people that work for Lucasfilm about the episode and things behind it, whatever. And they would have these interstitials with Chopper in the Lucasfilm office. Because the actual functional Chopper and doing the noises and all that stuff. But after Rogue One came out, Chopper came around, he had like a scarf on and he said he's turned Hollywood. Huh. <laughs> he was just kind of being a dick to everybody in the office. So Chopper's back. If you're like, why is he so annoying? Yo, that's how he is, man. He's a dick. That's literally his character. Is spot on. And the voice, you know who does the voice of Chopper? No, tell me. Dave Filoni. Oh, there you go. By the way, he's called Chopper because his code is C110P. And when you write C1-10P, the 1-1 looks like an H, the 0 looks like a 0, and obviously the P. So that's why his name is Chopper. Chop. <laughs> chop, chop. Chop it down. Yeah, I wasn't going to go there, <laughs> but you took us there, so that's fine. I did. I did. We mentioned Ezra Bridger, who was in the hologram. That's the guy that we're trying to find. He's played by Iman Esfandi. So, again, this is a new actor. Classic misdirection here by putting the Ezra hologram in the trailer, but then it's an old hologram. Gotcha. I love the opening, I got to say. It was a classic Star Wars opening. Yeah. Obviously, we've got the scroll, but it looks different. It's not in perspective, and it's in red text. But love a good scroll. We've got the big ship passing across the screen, like the very first shot in Star Wars. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of a dark sister to rescuing Leia, mm -hmm. Balin, and Shin breaking into the New Republic ship to get Morgan Elsbeth. Of course, the reveal that they are nefarious and up to no good. We're not talking too deep into the weeds, but there's two things I wish. One is when he said, I'll show you my identification. I wish he had just stabbed him right there. Uh -huh. Ignite the lightsaber, go through him. You didn't have to give a whole speech. And then that kicks off all the fighting. Because it doesn't make sense for Jin Hati to start the fighting. But whatever. And then the other thing is when he says, what Jedi? And Morgan Elspeth says Ahsoka Tano. Instead of saying that, they should have just gone full screen. Mm -hmm. Bam, Ahsoka. Yeah. Oh, that would have been badass. But yeah, I enjoyed the opening scene greatly. And then they follow that up with Ahsoka doing the Indiana Jones thing and finding the star map. So it felt like a strong injection into the narrative. That move that she does where she drops her lightsabers and then uses the force to draw a circle around her. She did that in the last episode of Clone Wars. Nice. When she was finding the clones. So there are little touches here and there. And I think like that's the big thing about this is the idea that the dude who's running this show, who's writing these episodes, who directed the first episode, is the guy who invented all of these characters. These are his characters. When he does that, when he does a live shot remake of the last scene in Rebels, that's not someone saying like, wouldn't it be cool? That's the dude who's like, yo, I'm basically swinging his dick around. Yeah, it's got to be fun to see something that you did animated in real life. 
after all these years, however long, and have so many things in your back pocket. And also, like, be able to continue storylines that, you know, he probably was not capable, you know, like, you got to wrap this thing up. Unlike Clone Wars, Rebels had a sunset that was planned and known. But even within that, you got to think like, oh, I wish I could have done this or that, but we can't. We only have three episodes left. Well, it's interesting that you say there's a sunset that was planned. Mm -hmm. Having just watched it, it's pretty stunning to me that that's six years ago, the cliffhanger ending of Rebels, because it absolutely is setting up what we're about to see here. Yes. This is kind of a long time to wait. Yeah. Do you think he was planning on another animated series and then the live action stuff took off i would guess that because we have to remember this explosion of star wars tv series content is literally all because of the mandalorian and the mandalorian existed because disney did not want to put a lot of money into another star wars thing after rise of skywalker and solo did beneath what the expectations were they were like, yo, let's slow down on all this Star Wars stuff. And the next thing they greenlit was a TV series. And they thought it was like a low investment thing. And then it blew up. And then it was like, oh, shit, we got to turn out more of these things. So there's no way Baloney could have reasonably like, no, maybe he hoped. But I don't think he could have reasonably known that he was going to get a chance to do live action. Hey guys, it's Mike Fuentes. A lot's changed over the years. One thing that hasn't, the great taste of Miller Lite. Another thing that hasn't changed is that it's less filling. So what is the best thing about the original light beer? Miller Lite sparked this debate in 1975, and we still haven't settled it. My last year has been crazy. Started off editing videos for Dan, a podcast here and there, and now I basically do everything there is for Mystery Crate. And it's not about doing something different. It's about doing something that makes me happy. Something that makes me smile. Something that's not as simple as you think. Miller Lite keeps it simple. Undebatable quality, great taste, only 96 calories. It's the beer that strips away everything you don't need and holds on to what matters most. A light beer that tastes like beer. Less filling and only 96 calories. You don't have to choose what's best. Miller Lite has great taste and is less filling. Tastes like Miller time. To get Miller Lite delivered right to your door, visit MillerLite.com crate. Or you can find it pretty much anywhere that sells beer. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 96 calories per 12 ounces. Fewer cows and carbs than premium regular beer. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. some broad brush strokes about places or whatever they go to Corellia. Corellia is the home planet of Han Solo. Mm-hmm. We saw it in the movie Solo. Corellia has always been known as the shipyard. Basically it's like the Norfolk, Virginia of star Wars. That's where they go to the shipyard. 
That's where we find out it's teaming with double agents and all that. And that kind of ties in to some themes that we got in Mandalorian season three, right? Yeah, this was a big politics exposition dump here with the lack of gubernatorial management and how things are operating under the radar. And it actually reminded me a lot of Andor too. Yes. In reverse, obviously, right? Andor is all about how the empire has had a wandering eye and doesn't have its finger on the pulse Mm -hmm. while here we see that the new Republic is doing the same thing. And we've talked about this meet the new boss, same as the old boss. It's the same problem Mm -hmm. within the galaxy. It starts in that opening scene where they're approached by a Jedi era shuttle with a Jedi era code. And the comms officer says, yeah, they got a code. It's a Jedi code. Somehow it's really old. And the captain of the ship, he's a pompous asshole. Mm -hmm. In the same way that we saw in Andor, the officers of the Empire were, they were so sure of themselves. Nothing could ever happen to them. Which is a little weird because at least the Empire had military might, but the New Republic, as we know, is demilitarized. They got some cops and stuff like that, but they don't really have artillery or anything. Well, so that's interesting, I mean... Because there is a throwaway reference by Hera to the New Republic defense fleet. So this seems to be a retcon that the New Republic is not demilitarized, that they are actually building stuff. They stripped down 90% of their military. That's been the canon of this post-Return of the Jedi timeline. So there is a defense fleet, yes. It's very small compared to what it was during the middle of the Civil War. And also, some planets, Imperial remnants were allowed to continue to operate under Imperial rule. They just weren't allowed to have weapons or armies, basically. So if you wanted to keep your governor from when the Empire ruled, that was fine. And those are the planets that kind of recruit the other planets to saying like, yo, life kind of sucks under the New Republic. Don't you wish it was like it used to be? which is going back to Hera saying these people are here that are working on Corellia. These are the same people that are working when the Empire was in control. He's like, yeah. The spy, Min Weaver, he tells them straight up, they're loyal to the money. And that's the reality. It's like people are going to side on the side of what pays my bills or puts money in my account. Right. The galactic struggle of like the Emperor is bad and the Jedi. Most people, that didn't impact them in any way. But also this dude is somewhat blowing smoke up her ass because oh yeah all of the people there one guy yells hail to the empire before he gets shot which is dumb look ahsoka's a jedi i'll take this she knew he was gonna do it before he probably did it and slices him up we don't need i'm going to shoot you now but yes morgan elsbeth is able to run this factory almost unimpeded by the new republic mm-hmm when they pull up the files they're classified and there's that great moment where harris says i'm a general yeah declassify it for me i have the clearance i need authorization like i'm giving it to you right now (laughs) i'm the general yeah so it's right under their nose and i think this supports the idea that the new republic is susceptible to failure and that the first order is just around the corner we find out that that factory is in fact trying to build a massive hyperdrive for something called the Eye of Scion maze. What is the Eye of Scion? Oh boy. So using hyperdrive cores from Superstar Destroyers, we're 
putting them in a ring. And of course, right when we see it for the first time, they just put the last hyperdrive in there. So they're done. This should generate enough raw power to travel at incalculable speeds between the galaxies, even very much like a Stargate, perhaps. It resembles the ring design of Outbound Flight, which was created by Timothy Zahn, who was the writer who created Thrawn which is a failed Jedi exploration mission to seek out life beyond the known galaxies. And it's a much bigger version of the hyperdrive rings from Attack of the Clones. Were you surprised that where Thrawn and Ezra are, or where we think they are, is not the unknown regions, but somewhere completely different? Well, I kind of like this. So this is all new. How do we know that we need the Eye of Scion? That's where our MacGuffin star map comes in and... Morgan uses the Night Sister magic to pull it up in a 3D projection, which is really cool looking at another temple. Very cool. Balin mumbles under his breath, pathway to Paradia. Yeah. So this is where we're going. We're going to Paradia. Balin gives us the exposition that it was a fairy tale told at the Jedi Temple. Which is another Indiana Jones thing, right? Oh, absolutely. It has to line up right in the teeth of the piece of the temple. And the graphics for this projection look a lot like the world between worlds. I mean, yes, it does. When I first saw them in the trailer, I thought that's what it was. But the crucial difference here is that instead of wolves going in a circle around where they're going, it's Pergil. Pergil, yes, Pergil, which is those space whales that make hyperdrive and hyper transit possible. So while we thought that the Pergil hyperspace jumps were going around the galaxy it appears that they actually go between galaxies right and so now that's what morgan's trying to build she's trying to build the eye of scion to jump to a different galaxy to go find thrawn yeah and they found this map from this sphere this ball that ahsoka got from that night sister's temple Gave it to Sabine to try and crack the code, which she cracked incredibly easily, Maze. That, that was kind of annoying. Oh, all you got to do is like Rubik's Cube this shit a little bit and it's open. I mean, let's give Sabine a little more credit than that, okay? She's an incredibly talented programmer and hacker. She's also a creative. So that's a weird thing. Like in Rebels, she was an artist. That was her big thing. Like she would paint on her Mandalorian armor. She would paint on everyone else's helmets. She'd paint that mural, like you said. She painted and did art all the time, right? The other thing she was was a demolitions expert. So explosives and stuff like that. I don't remember her being a hacker. Well, maybe she picked that up in the last decade, you know? Yeah, I suppose. Once she retired from her Padawan duties, she had more time to hack. But I do want to talk about how... Sabine is this artsy chick who lives alone in a converted watchtower. She's got a cat. With her cats. She <laughs> does art. She has colorful dyed hair. You know, she's a real cool chick. Super cool. So obviously she's the only person in the galaxy who can crack this ancient witch star map by looking at a couple triangles and realizing that it's the rule of three, not the rule of two. I mean, yeah, all of a sudden there's uh, three witches now. Okay. Got you. And those three are referencing the father, the sister and the brother yeah. that we talked about last week from the Jedi temple and rebels. That's right. I wish she hadn't done it so easily. I also wish Hera didn't do the, okay, don't take it from the ship. And she says, okay. And then she just walks out and lets her have it. The most predictable thing ever. If you leave the thing with her, she's going to take it away. And also, of course, 
we know that they're coming for her and we know that they're going to take it. Yeah. And that was a little rote. You're right. But we needed to get this plot going. So sure. I did like the fact that Ahsoka's kind of annoyed and she's like, she's so stubborn. Hera says, well, weren't you like that with your master? And she bristles. Oh yeah. She doesn't say anything angry or whatever, but you could tell like she wasn't cool with Hera bringing that up. Even as she then takes a moment and then answers very thoughtfully about what well, Anakin was da da da. But you could tell her reaction was like, yo, <laughs> I thought I told you not to say that name. Mm-hmm. We've got the makings of our story here, right? We know they're going to try to get Thrawn. And we know now how they're going to do it. We know that Ahsoka and Hera and Sabine know where they are. Planet Setos. And they're in pursuit. Talk to me a little bit about the Sabine Ahsoka apprenticeship that happened in the in between times here. We know that she's not a very high aptitude force user. That's how you retcon shit. Because if she was just like, yo, and I got the force, we would have been like, wait a second. We did four seasons of the show. How did it never come up? So they explain it away with, yeah, she's very, very lightly force sensitive, which by the way is a thing. The idea is like the forces of everything. It flows through all living beings. So some people can tap into it and some people can't, but it's a spectrum, right? Mm -hmm. And given that there aren't a whole lot of force sensitive people left because of the work of the Inquisitors, it would make sense that Sabine is like a really poor quality, poor quality to the point that she was old enough during the age of the Jedi, she would not have been a Padawan. She would not have qualified basically for school. Yeah, so that's my question. She's got to be breaking precedent here as a Padawan. Yes. I mean, again, Hu Yang tells us from the standpoint of... You've got the worst SAT scores of any college applicant. Yes. She's Prop 48, for sure. I was thinking about Shirit in Rogue One, the blind monk. Yeah, but he was more Force-sensitive than her. More or not, I don't know. But he's an example of someone being lightly Force-sensitive, but not good enough to be a Jedi. Maybe you're right. But she has wielded the Darksaber before, which would explain why she has any lightsaber skills at all. Yes, she's wielded the Darksaber when they found it on Dathomir in Rebels, and they brought it back, and... Kanan Jarrus, who is the Jedi who trained Ezra, who gave his life. He's the other guy in the mural Mm -hmm. standing right behind them. He trained her how to use the lightsaber. He trained her to focus your energy to flow through it and all that stuff that, if you remember in Book of Boba Fett, but Mandalorian 2.5, when he's fighting and the armorers telling him how to use the darksaber, all that stuff, all those lessons and trainings, that's basically what Kanan taught her to do. And she ended up being very good at it. And so that's why using a lightsaber is not a unwieldy exercise for her. She knows what she's doing with it. But also it makes sense that she's lightly force sensitive. That would help as well. And speaking of Kanan Jarrus, when she gives herself a haircut, that is a tribute to a similar scene from Kanan Jarrus in Rebels where he cuts his hair. By the way, Kanan Jarrus wasn't always blind. He was blinded by Darth Maul on Malachor. We talked about that last week. So I'm liking where all this is going. So far, so good. Do I have criticisms? Of course, you know, there are things that are clunky. There are things that I think could have been done better, a little sharper. There's a lot of exposition, as we pointed out, but I get it. They're trying to introduce these people and give us an idea. Like Sabine is really combative. That's not a new thing. She's always been like that. And that was kind of the thing about the ghost squad or the specters, as they call them. 
They were a ragtag group. Like Ezra was an orphan and he was kind of like Aladdin, a street urchin, pretty much, when Kanan discovered him. And Kanan was a Jedi who was living in hiding. So he was tucking it in, so to speak. And he wasn't even a Jedi. He was a Padawan when Order 66 happened. So he had never finished his training. And Hera obviously was a great pilot and that's it. But then you've got Sabine who was in the Imperial Academy and then dropped out. So all these people were kind of loners and individuals and maybe a little gruff or unruly. So you're trying to bring all of that out while also furthering their characters given that this is a decade later. Couple Easter eggs for you here, Mean. When they're on the New Republic ship and Amon Calamari tells Hera to come join a meeting. Mm-hmm. It's a trap. That's Admiral Akbar, baby. That is Akbar. Yeah. I just thought it was a random Moncala, but there you go. He's Admiral Akbar, who's, as Maze just pointed out, from the very famous meme. It's a trap. Also, that explains why that ship is the ship from Return of the Jedi, where they have the briefing mm-hmm. and they talk about this is the Death Star and it's going around the forest moon of Endor and all that shit. So, yeah, very cool. The ships that chase Sabine. When she's on her speeder bike, I don't know about you, that whole scene gave me a very Akira vibe with the Japanese punk rock that was playing. Yeah, yeah. Those ships are E-Wings, which is the first live action appearance for them. We also have, alongside Balin and Shin as mercenaries, Maroc the Inquisitor Mm -hmm. with his spinning lightsaber. Don't know his deal or how he got connected. Okay, so that's another example of, God, I wish they did. So when he fights Ahsoka and Corellia, or she, I don't know what Maroc is, but when they fight, Mm -hmm. the escape plan is to basically throw the lightsaber at Ahsoka and then just book it, Uh jump on the ship, and then use the force to grab the lightsaber back. In Rebels, they use it like a helicopter. Mm, Yeah, It's right there for you. Just helicopter up. The droids that are employed by... Morgan are HK assassin droids or hunter killer Mm -hmm. assassin droids that were originally created in Knights of the Old Republic, the Star Wars video games. Yep. And another video game note is when Ahsoka goes to the communications tower and senses what happened there doing some recon. That's an ability similar to Cal Kestis's sense echo from Fallen Order and Survivor. And then finally in the recreation scene, where Ahsoka comes to pick up Sabine with her new haircut. The main difference is that in the Rebels epilogue, she's Ahsoka the White, but in this version, she's still Ahsoka the Gray. That's a Dave Filoni Gandalf reference, Lord of the Rings, where Gandalf was the Gray, but when he returned, he was more powerful and he was the White, indicating that he'd leveled up in some ways. So Ahsoka has not leveled up. I wonder if we will see that happen during the run of this show. She doesn't have her staff either. In the animated version, she has a staff, Mm -hmm. a very grandiose looking staff. In the live action one, she does not. I feel like the first two episodes... Very smart to drop them together. I thought episode two was a lot less strong. I thought episode one was doing a lot of heavy lifting. And episode two, I was kind of surprised when it ended. I'm like, wait, that's it? We've barely done anything. We've barely gotten anything accomplished here. But I think combined, they got us into position. Absolutely. If we had waited a week for episode two, that would have felt a lot flatter. Yes, absolutely. would have been pissed off about episode two if I had to wait for that. But like, given that it came 
on the heels of episode one and get carried by the momentum of episode one. I'm happy with it. Wasn't a perfect two episodes, wasn't Andor, so to speak, but this is kind of what I wanted and this is what I expected. And so we're there, man. And the CGI looks really good. They put money in this. This one feels like it has the appropriate amount of investment in it. Lethal looked incredible. All of the temples and the planets that they're running around to looked really cool, even though you know it's all fake and CGI and stuff. I was very impressed with the CGI budget for sure. What are some of the criticisms? Because I haven't had a chance to jump on Star Wars Reddit or any of the other places where people complain about shit. What are some of the main criticisms? Other than people shitting on Sabine? That's by far the biggest one that I've seen. She is very ass on. I'm not going to go there yet, man. She's not put in a flattering position. I think that she was cast first and foremost to do the lightsaber fights and the action scenes. And it's hard to get somebody who can be a five tool player Mm -hmm. and be unknown. So I'm going to give her some time to figure this out. I'm looking forward to seeing how they get to the other side, so to speak. And... I'm guessing Thrawn we will interact with very quickly, given that he is the big bad. Or as Ezra is still going to take some time for us to find him. Well, if there's a whole galaxy on the other side, as opposed to the thought that they're floating in space together or something, but the fact that they could be in a whole other galaxy and Thrawn could have built up a force or used his powerful intellect to start to take over that galaxy... It's probable that he will have some power and Ezra will still be on the run of sorts. So it will take some more time to find him. I have them as both being stranded on a deserted island, so to speak. That's what it sounded like. And I think now with this revelation that there's a whole other Herodia out there, I think it'll be different than that. Send us your ideas, your hopes, your criticisms. But don't send us 500 messages Talking about how Sabine's ass on, please. We get it. We get it. Maze, I I do want to say I feel like we've gotten a bad rap as being negative, overly negative in the reviews. And I think we've been consistent that like we're negative about the shit that sucks. I think that's only because no one heard us talk about season two of Mandalorian when you and I were both absolutely ecstatic. That was pre-Mystery Crate days. Or about Andor. That's true. If you listen to Andor, you know that we're here for it. But Andor is a lofty status to try to match. I like the show, man. I like Star Wars. I like Star Wars as a whole. I just don't like when it's not done well. And so even watching these two episodes, I can tell the care is there. And that's really all I'm looking for. Just care about it. Care about it the way George Lucas cared about it. And care about it the way Star Wars fans care about it. And that's going to do it for us here. Remember, we're going to be doing one of these every week for as long as Ahsoka is running. Six more weeks. Take us to the beginning of October, right into NBA training camp. For Darth Corn Puzzle, I'm Darth Amin, reminding you, here's our identification.
Hey guys, it's Mike Fuentes. A lot's changed over the years. One thing that hasn't, the great taste of Miller Lite. Another thing that hasn't changed is that it's less filling. So what is the best thing about the original light beer? Miller Lite sparked this debate in 1975, and we still haven't settled it. My last year has been crazy. Started off editing videos for Dan, a podcast here and there, and now I basically do everything there is for Mystery Crate. And it's not about doing something different. It's about doing something that makes me happy. Something that makes me smile. Something that's not as simple as you think. Miller Lite keeps it simple. Undebatable quality, great taste, only 96 calories. It's the beer that strips away everything you don't need and holds on to what matters most. A light beer that tastes like beer. Less filling and only 96 calories. You don't have to choose what's best. Miller Lite has great taste and is less filling. Tastes like Miller time. To get Miller Lite delivered right to your door, visit MillerLite.com crate. Or you can find it pretty much anywhere that sells beer. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 96 calories per 12 ounces, fewer cows and carbs than premium regular beer.